everybody. Welcome back to the Moving Screen NBA podcast. We are here on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Wes, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Just enjoying the cooler weather out here in AZ. This is the beautiful time of year. Looking forward to your guys' visit coming up here in about a month. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Coming up soon, our buddy Tom's wedding. Uh, but definitely going to spend some time over at your place, watch some ball, play some Oculus. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it, bud. Yeah, we got to have a little darts battle. We got to put that to use. We didn't get to play last time you were out here, so it's a must. Uh, we'll get we'll get going on the darts and then we'll never stop. So uh, we, yeah. we, we better do that last. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We know uh, one match just leads into an infinite amount of matches just the way we play. So it's an addicting game. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're addictive personalities, I guess, because we're here doing a basketball podcast. Let's get into the court report because we had all kinds of stuff going on uh, in the NBA this past week. Um, first, want to start out. With last night's big matchup, the Grizzlies versus the Warriors. Grizzlies take down Warriors for their 10th straight win. Second longest streak so far this season in the NBA. Uh, what did you see in that game? I mean, this was an ultra competitive basketball game. Uh, the fans were hyped. The players were hyped. Uh, it seemed right from the tip that both teams were locked in and ready to compete. The Grizzlies came out swinging, you know, the Warriors surged back and took the lead. But, you know, as this game closed out, the superstar on the court, John Morant, just took over. Like you said, they have 10 wins in a row now. They are dangerous. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to see the Grizzlies. They look like they're talking a bunch of shit out there on the court. As I've heard, they do a lot of the time. Uh, and why not? If you're winning, you can talk. Hey, they're young. They're getting the wins. They're looking swag. The um, you know the the metrics give it to them. Number six offense in the league. Number eight defense in the league. So that's just a telltale. Top ten in the league in both as a championship contender. And um, you know the top of the West uh, now: Suns, Warriors, Jazz have all been six and four in their last ten, while the Grizzlies are on this ten-game streak. So they're climbing the standings gaining four games on all those teams. And now they're in a virtual tie with the Jazz for third in the conference. Unbelievable run. Uh, but it all starts with John Morant, who last night put up 29 points, five rebounds, eight assists in the win to go along with two blocks. Yeah, he came out hot, too, to start the game. I believe he had 15 points in the first quarter. You know, put his stamp on it early, showing what he can do. But this is just showing the versatility, you know, as I've talked about here with the Grizzlies. Um, I didn't see your boy Stevie Adams play at all. So they, you know, we're rolling with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. He gets in a bit of foul trouble. And then they, you know, bring in Brandon Clark, who I thought played fantastic for them last night. And it just shows their versatility. You know, they can go big if they go against a team who likes to go small, such as the Warriors. They can bring in Brandon Clark and go a bit of a smaller five, and he can still rebound. Uh, I don't know if I've seen this many lobs in one game from one team. It looked like all Grizzlies players were catching lobs all night long. Uh, it was quite impressive to see the athleticism that they were out, you know, had out there on the court. It's crazy. I mean, they're all young, so they all want to put up those highlights, and they're all capable. 
Um, you mentioned Jaron Jackson, who I love when he plays center. He's had some really nice numbers this past week uh, with Adams out. Uh, and he's been getting blocks. His stretchability as a shooter makes a much larger difference as the center versus the power forward position. But you saw it last night. It's been a problem his whole career, foul trouble, and that's why I think they haven't just committed to him as their starting center because he's kind of unreliable in those minutes. Uh, he's going to have those fouls. But if he can stay on the court at center, it's a huge weapon for that team. Yeah, and I think that is the issue is that when he is playing that five, he does seem to pick up some cheap fouls. There are a couple of fouls that he had just tumbling over guys, you know, one near half court, another one going after a rebound in the corner. <clears throat> which are just knucklehead fouls. Um, you know, we can maybe chalk that up to the youth that he just needs to be a little more wise, a little more wisdom out there on the court because he's a valuable piece for them. Uh, but they have other options. Uh, you know, Tillman came in. I thought he played pretty well. But like I said, I thought Brandon Clark really stood out. Um, he had a great game for them, you know, filled in really well uh, when Jaron Jackson was over there on the pine. Yeah, and this, this is all without Dylan Brooks, who uh, this past week had an MCL sprain. He's probably going to miss about a month's time. Uh, so they're doing it without one of their um, main guards and main defenders, and they were still able to top the Warriors in this one. Um, Warriors had 16 turnovers, which was kind of the big issue for them. Um uh, and even despite that, they had a free throw advantage. Warriors shot 29 free throws to the Grizzlies 18, but it wasn't enough. Um, Steph Curry played a solid game, triple-double, 27 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, uh, but it was the rest of the team didn't quite get it done. Uh, Clay in his second game back, 14 points, uh, kind of an off-and-on game for him uh, as he's getting his feet under him, but uh, it definitely is good to see him back and the, the Splash Brothers uh, checked in together late in the game, and I thought that was just a cool moment, uh, both coming off the sidelines at the same time. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't have enough guys contributing. Uh, Jordan Poole hasn't figured it out yet in his new role as a sixth man off the bench. Um, it was interesting to see, to start the second half, the Warriors started uh, Gary Payton II to try and lock up and slow down Ja Morant, which you could just see watching he was picking John Moran up full court, you know, kind of had the head in his chest, just putting pressure and putting his body on him whenever he could. This shows just the versatility of both teams. You know, the Warriors don't have to stick to one lineup. Uh, they have multiple pieces, multiple defenders they can put on guys. Uh, I mean, they didn't even have Draymond in this game, who we all know is such a, a huge piece to the flow of their offense. Uh, you know, there's reports now that he's probably going to be out for at least three more games with his calf strain. So, you know, we're going to have to see how this Splash Brothers works without Draymond. Um, it's a bit of an adjustment for them as a, a lineup. But we got to credit the Grizzlies. You know, they showed up. They took care of business here on home court. They beaten the Warriors twice now this year. So that's a big, you know, big token in their pocket that they can you know, look at and feel confident that if these teams meet in the playoffs, they can compete and they can win. Absolutely. I mean, they have all the confidence in the world. Uh, why not? John Morant is fresh off a player of the week during this streak. Uh, he he was 25 points, six rebounds, seven assists uh, in this past week on a 5-0 and Grizzlies week. And 
he had that sensational block against the Lakers that looked like he was uh, looks like he could stretch his body out like it was rubber. I mean, it, it looked like he was the elastic man. Jumps up with two hands, grabs it off the backboard, hits his elbow on the backboard, almost smacks his face. He was so high. And then he has the awareness to immediately go into a dribble fast break on the other end. Just a ridiculous play. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen it. But if you haven't, go watch it. And if you have, go watch it again. <laughs> it's so true. I, I probably watched that highlight, uh, you know, 10, 12 times here on both broadcasts, on the Grizzlies broadcast <laughs> and the Lakers broadcast. Uh, I think the Lakers broadcast was even more hyped and shocked with what they saw. Um, I mean, that was just mind blowing. He was so high up there uh, to reach it at like the top of the square for a guy that's six, two, six, three. I mean, we know he has hops, but he put those on display. (laughs) Unbelievable. They showed, um, there's a highlight of him in college doing something very similar, very similar chase down the two hand off the backboard. He wasn't up as high, but he has this in his arsenal. Apparently he has the chase down block ability. It was incredible. Um, you know, they're trying to rank this as one of the best chase down blocks. You know, I think everyone's trying to put LeBron's against the Warriors in the finals because of the, the situation game seven of the finals. But if you're just talking pure ability to me, this is number one. I mean, this is a guard skying for a block. Uh, man, it's it's incredible. We have some pictures. There'll be one on IG later. Unbelievable play. I still can't believe he has that ability to make that happen. <laughs> it was insane. Uh, in the same game, he had an alley-oop catch that his head was over the rim. Um, <laughs> John Morant going ballistic. Huge win for the Grizzlies. Uh, I mentioned that they caught up basically to the Jazz The Jazz have now lost three straight as uh, Rudy Gobert has been out health and and safety protocols. And the Jazz, one of their losses, their most recent loss, was against the Pistons, who have the second worst record in the league. And the Pistons were on a back-to-back. The next night, the Pistons lose to the Bulls by 46 points. So what kind of loss is that for the Jazz? Just crazy. It's um, a lack of focus. You know, it's where you're looking at the record and and not playing the game. We know all the players in the NBA are talented and you need to respect your opponent. The Jazz clearly did not do that. And it now is a chalked loss in the column. One that they'll probably look back on here as the season dwindles. If they're not a top three seed and the Grizzlies, you know, surpass them, it's going to be one that they want back because Against the Pistons, there should be two easy wins uh, on your record this year. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Kate Cunningham had a great game, but, I mean, they just can't be losing that game. But uh, it's, been a, it's been a week of streaks. Everybody's doing it. Uh, we got the Bulls, who I just mentioned, in that win over the Pistons. They are 9-1 and one in their last 10. They now lead the East by two and a half games over the Nets. And... They Before their recent loss, they had a nine-game winning streak, which was their first such streak since 2004-2005. So, I mean, this is new territory for the Bulls, and they keep killing it. I mean, they keep on keeping on. They're playing fantastic basketball. 
the mojo is there for this team. You know, they have the confidence. The pieces are clicking and fitting together so much better than anyone had thought. Uh, it's just they need to go all in. So I don't know if that means they need to make a trade. You know, do they feel comfortable with where they're at? Do they think they need another piece? Because this is their year. I mean, they clearly have an opportunity to represent the Eastern Conference. They need to capitalize on that because uh, they are, you know, three or four seats higher than I probably would have predicted. And like you said, they're starting to separate two and a half game lead. There's no reason to think that that can't continue to grow with, you know, Brooklyn's fluctuation in lineups <laughs> with Irving and, and Harden in and out. I mean, they have a chance to, you know, get a firm grip on this top spot. They're playing great ball here in the first half of the season. It's been incredible. And uh, we, we talked about All-Stars last week. They're guaranteed to have two, uh, if not three, in Vucevic. Um, so the Bulls are just keep going. I, I mean, That's interesting about the trades. I, I can't I can't seem to find a deal that would make sense that that the other team would accept. Like a lot of those Jeremy Grant rumors, I don't think that the Bulls would put Patrick Williams in that deal, but they might if they're going for that title. But we'll see about the Bulls. They're playing great. Um, another huge win streak, uh, which I won't spend too much time on. The 76ers have won seven straight games. Embiid has been over 30 points in all seven and in nine of his last 10. Uh, we'll talk about the Sixers more in your segment, but a huge streak for the Sixers who are climbing the East. And it's almost identical to the West. The Mavericks have won six straight games, uh, and they are now the fifth-ranked defense. And in this streak, they beat the Warriors and the Bulls. So huge wins, huge streak for the Mavericks, who are now fifth in the conference. Yeah, you know, they, they have talent. We've talked about it here. I don't know if it's coaching. They they honestly just need to get everyone back healthy. I feel like their roster has been, you know, in and out, just health and safety protocols. You know, Porzingis has been out for some time. Doncic has been out for some time. Um, they hopefully here are starting to, you know, catch a groove. This is more or less where I saw them, you know, that fifth, fourth seed. So this is where they should be. It's just the record at 22 and 18. You don't see that as a, a fifth ranked team in the Western Conference if you would have put that roster in front of me or that record in front of me. But they have talent. They have arguably one of the top players in the entire league. We know how good Luka is and how dominant he can be. It's, you know, just, I guess, um, it, inspiring that they're starting to get things clicking here as we get towards the, the halfway mark because the second half of the year, if, if everyone is healthy, they can start putting it together and they they themselves could then put a gap here between, you know, everyone below them because Nuggets, Lakers, Clippers, none of those teams have the talent that these Mavericks have. You're absolutely right. And, and uh, just like the Bulls, they're adding some separation uh, between that fifth and that sixth seed. Uh, they're a game and a half up, and uh, they're playing great ball. They're only one of six teams in the West with a positive differential. <laughs> I'm not sure if that says more about the West or about the Mavericks there, but uh, it's been a great streak for them. And you're right. They finally are getting that roster back to whole. It's just been a wild season of 
you know, in and out players for them. And um, I think that they're finally getting their groove. And it hasn't necessarily been, uh, you know, Donch is just going absolutely crazy. He's had some good games here on this streak, but the whole team's been playing well. Uh, Brunson's been great. And Hardaway's getting his groove back. Porzingis has had a solid season. I think that they are going to stay uh, around this spot, like you said. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they ended up at this fifth seed. Yeah, and I, I really like Dorian Finney-Smith on their team. You know, he's not one of their top players that you think of when you're scouting them, but he fills so many gaps. Um, he has the ability to stretch the court. He can play, you know, the power forward if you want to go a slightly smaller lineup because he can rebound. Um, he's a very good wing defender, very smart player. You know, he's put in the work to keep upgrading himself um, as his career has gone on. So he deserves credit for, you know, their defense, I would say it's shocking to hear that they have that high of a defense with Luka Doncic on that team because we know Luka uh, gets a little space cadet out there and you know loses his guy uh, quite often on the court. I agree. Fifth ranked, that's major. Uh, you got a props to Jason Kidd who uh, clearly saw something on, especially with all the roster fluctuation. Hey, if we can just commit to defense, you know we can stay in it and get some wins. And now with the whole roster. Uh, there's no reason why they can't keep climbing. So really nice stretch here for the Mavericks and a great stretch for the Sixers in the East. Uh, and then one last big winning streak was the Raptors. Uh, they had a six-game winning streak going until the Suns beat them last night in a close one. Uh, that six-game winning streak helped Fred Van Vliet win Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Uh, he was 4-0 and on the week uh, and averaged over 30 points five rebounds, six and a half assists in that stretch, including a major performance, 37 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, triple-double against the Jazz uh, in one of those Jazz losing streak games. So huge week for the Raptors, but especially Fred Van Vliet, your player of the week. I mean, I might have to reconsider Van Vliet as an all-star here. <laughs> you know, immediate reconsideration from last week's, uh, you know, not including him. He's been special. Um, you look at his stats, he's putting up about nine and a half threes per game this year, which is a career high. You know, this guy's undrafted. He, you know, has just continued to work. Uh, he bet on himself as far as not signing an extension. Then he got a big payday and he's living up to that payday. Um, he's the clear leader of that Raptors squad. You know, it's, it's really good to see someone be valued and then show it on the court as well to where you're not, you know, looking at the contract and him not living up to it. I mean, that's not even in discussion right now. You know, they're in the AC 2018. So they're starting to zoom up, you know, put a little gap between hopefully the rest of the play-in section. Um, but, you know, I talked about them earlier in the year. I really liked what they have going on. They have a lot of versatile pieces you know, lots of guys within that 6'5 to 6'8 range who can dribble, pass, and shoot. They run. They're a lot of fun to watch because this team wants to run super athletic. They really are. I mean, uh, unfortunately, Barnes didn't get to play in that loss to the Suns last night, uh, but he definitely would have helped the cause. Um, they, they just go big and long on every position. Siakam's been playing great this season ever since he returned from injury. And, you know, I'm like a little bit lower on OG Ananobi than some, but he's still a solid role player, solid defender. And 
he, he fits out easy on this team when you have that small of a role. I mean, if you have Van Vliet going off like this, you have Siakam playing great, then it doesn't matter that much how much Siakam's giving you, um, Ananobi's giving you offensively because his defense is there and it's leading to a great season. Uh, we know that Coach Nick Nurse is solid, so they've got a good foundation. And I, I, yeah, you're right. I think they'll probably stay at least in the play-in, if not as a home team in, in that in that group. Yeah, I mean, they have a chance, that's for sure. Um, and you talked here a little bit about Van Vliet's triple-double, and that ties into my stat lines of the week. Um, ever since our last pod, which was on the 6th, there's been a triple-double every single day since then. <laughs> um, on the 6th, Chris Paul goes triple-double, 14 points, 13 boards, 10 assists versus the Clippers. You already talked to Van, about Van Vliet on the 7th. Goes 37, 10, and 10 versus the Jazz. Uh, Jalen Brown drops a triple-double on the 8th versus the Knicks. Goes 22, 11, and 11. <laughs> uh, Luca the night after, on the 9th, he goes 22, 14, and 14 in the Ooh. win versus the Bulls. Uh, Sabonis, who I'm pretty high on, obviously, on the 10th, he goes 11 points, 22 boards, 10 dimes in a loss against the Celtics in OT. And then we, you know, touched on it briefly. Steph Curry last night goes 27, 10, and 10 versus the Grizzlies. So six straight days of triple doubles, all different players. Quite impressive week here for these uh, NBA players. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's a great poll right there. I, uh, I actually was fortunately got to see a number of those. Uh, Jalen Brown and Sabonis' triple doubles were in my bandwagon team of the week games. And then, of course, we both watched that. Steph Curry won last night, but 22-14 and 14 for Doncic is pretty disgusting. That's huge numbers. I mean, those are like Russell Westbrook triple-doubles, where it's <laughs> a very clear, way past the triple-double mark. The 14 and 14 boards and assists, you're doing work if you're putting those type of numbers up. Absolutely. I, it's funny because you had Sabonis in your stat line of the week, I have Savonis as my stat line of the week, but it's not that game because oh. also this week, Savonis put up 42 points to go along with six rebounds, three assists, and a steal and a block. But the 42 points was off 18 of 22 shooting. 22 shots for 42 points. He was 82% from the floor. Incredible stuff from Savonis. Talk about efficiency. I mean, that's how good he is. I mean, he has been an all-star, and he's an all-star caliber player. His team is just not, you know, putting the wins up this season. You know, it's just, is he showing himself out on the trade block? Is he trying to, you know, prove his worth? We just don't know what the Pacers are going to do. You know, there's so much confusion. They're saying they don't want to tank, but they are saying they are looking at trades. Who are they trying to trade? You know, are they going to keep one of these three, you know, whether it's Turner, Sabonis, or Levert? Are they not going to keep any of them? I don't know what they're doing over there. All we do know is that they keep losing. <laughs> they do keep losing. <laughs> I saw one of their losses in my uh, in my bandwagon teams. But this win, uh, this 42-point Sabonis game did happen in a win versus the Jazz earlier in the week. But it's not helping them in the standings because they are deep down there, 13th in the conference. 
and they are three games back even from 12. So Pacers are not making the playoffs. Let's go ahead and sell these parts because nothing's happening this season. Yeah, we're ready for some trades. You know, we're about a month out from the trade deadline. Things are starting to heat up. Those phones are starting to to jingle. Uh, You know, people are starting to make some calls. I'm ready for some trades. We're going to see what happens because I feel I feel like the NBA has shifted to where you're only truly getting players now through trades that I feel the free agency has dried up a bit to where now the trades are the real value. You know, guys are locking themselves into these mega deals so they get paid and then they get disgruntled and, you know, ask, you know, ask to be moved. So we're going to see here. Uh, I feel like this is going to be a big season for some big deals. Yeah, contract extensions are at like an all-time high. I mean, like, you know, five, six years ago, we had two, three superstars in free agency in an offseason. Now we're hoping for one, and it ends up not happening because they sign a, a mega max or a mega extension. I mean, we've seen, you know, Beal do it, Lillard do it, Paul George do it, Kawhi, Anthony Davis. I mean, it keeps going. People just keep signing extensions uh, instead of, going into free agency because the money is just so big now. So there's not really much reason to go to the free agency unless you really want to leave that team. And usually by then, to your point, you would have gotten traded anyway because it would have been clear that you didn't want to come back. So um, it, it's it's a weird situation, but the trades are you know what is needed. And <laughs> – it is trade season. We got a minor one to get us going. We, you know, we're 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 doing baby steps here, but we did have a minor trade. The Nuggets sent your boy Bull Bull to the Pistons for Rodney Magruder and a second round pick, which ends up being this year's Nets second round pick, which will probably be in the fifties to to sixty range. So it's a late pick, but Bull Bull to Pistons for Rodney Magruder and that pick. I mean, this is a low-risk, high-reward deal here for the Pistons. They're trying to accumulate young talent. Bull Bull has skill. He just doesn't have awareness. Um, It's like when you used to play Madden and you draft someone and they had like 42 awareness. And you're like, shit, man, is it even worth like putting the time in to try and get this guy elevated? (laughs) Because is he ever, you know, it's like five years down the line before you're really going to see any benefit. But He's a seven-footer who can dribble, he can shoot, he plays, you know, rim protection defense. We've seen that. I like this move by the Pistons. You know, Rodney Magruder, he's a scrub. He's barely hanging on here in the league. Uh, They pretty much just gave, like you said, a late second-round pick, which isn't going to have much value. I like this move. I like the Pistons, you know, trying to accumulate some talent. We're going to see what he, you know, I just hope he gets minutes. They should have minutes. Him next to Isaiah Stewart is, you know, a a fun combo if he's playing the four. You know, I I like this. I I like what they're trying to do. I mean, it's it's a no-risk move. So it's a good idea for a team like the, the Pistons who are way at the bottom of the conference. They have minutes, you know, to give guys like this. And they're going to be out of the playoffs, like even mathematically in a couple games, probably. Um, so they have the time to give him minutes. And like you said, he's shown flashes. He can really shoot. He's gigantic. Um, you know, he needs to work on his body a lot. You're right. His awareness is low, but he has the time. He's young and the Pistons have the time. So uh, it's a good deal for them. Nuggets just getting off the asset, I guess. 
saving a little bit of cash, getting a pick. Uh, they didn't have the minutes for him. Jokic is always going to be there, so um, no, no big deal for them. But definitely a good move for the Pistons. Um, you know, a man that's going to be making trades potentially is Kobe Altman, who is the general manager of the Cavaliers. He just got an extension through 2028, and this is shortly after they gave the extension to J.B. Bickerstaff, the coach. So the Cavs have some stability here, and Kobe Altman is going to be around for the foreseeable future. Yeah, there's some synergy going here in Cleveland right now. Um, you know, Altman got a lot of flack early on when he took this job because it seemed like he didn't know what he was doing, had a couple bad signings and contracts. But if you look at the last couple moves, you know, specifically probably Jared Allen bringing him in in a trade, that's been a major win for them. Uh, you can also say Laurie Markinen has been a nice piece in addition. Obviously, the drafting of Evan Mobley has panned out uh, and Darius Garland. So the last couple moves he's made here have improved this team and this roster. So he has a vision for what they're trying to do. You can see him and head coach J.B. Bickerstaff. They look like they're on the same page. So I'm just fine with this. You know, these GMs, they need a couple of years to get the puzzles, you know, fitting right. You know, when they take over rosters, a lot of the guys are not theirs. So they then have to, you know, find a way to maneuver these contracts, get off some of these dead money deals and make it happen. So, yeah, this is good news for him and the Cleveland organization as a whole. Yeah, and Cleveland has been historically averse to re-signing GMs. Uh, They've had kind of a a joke about them that it's a one, you know, one contract and done for all GMs. So Kobe Altman getting this extension, uh, it's actually pretty big news. So great to hear the Cavs are going to continue this thing going forward. And they've had a great season so far uh, and hopefully for for years to come. Um, The last major piece of news I wanted to get to was unfortunately a couple of pieces of of injury news. Um, First and foremost, this came out today. Damian Lillard is expected to have surgery to help repair his abdominal injury that's been really affecting him all season. It's they said it it's not expected to be a season-ending injury, but it's possible. I mean, if it's not, it's gonna be the vast majority. So uh Blazers take a tough hit. Lillard's gonna be out for a while. Yeah, they're saying six to eight weeks. So let's just say it's the eight weeks. That's middle of March. That leaves roughly only a month left in the season. You know, by that point, the Blazers could be way beyond any sort of you know level of competitiveness. And at that point, why would you even bring him back? There's no point. It might as well allow Anthony Simons, you know, Nasir Little to try and keep leveling up, get that XP, and you know, see what they have on that roster. Semi tank, so they hopefully have a better draft pick. I don't know. I mean, this is unfortunate here for for Lillard and Mrs. Lillard because she won't be getting any of that good good here for the next two months. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, this is it's this is just Lillard's season. This hasn't been his year. It hasn't worked out. You know, with him and Billups to start the season, he might as well just rest up, get healthy. I mean, this was an issue for him in the Olympics. He had an issue with the same abdominal issue during the off season. Supposedly, it's been, you know, something that's bothering him even dating back to last year. So this is something he needs to get right for himself. 
Yeah, it's a serious injury. It's his worst season he's had in many years. Uh, he's been all NBA the last four seasons and I believe six of the last eight. Um, the Blazers currently sitting at 16 and 24, 10th in the conference, but only a game up on the Spurs. Honestly, the West should just cut the 10th off. Seven seed should get a playoff spot, and eight and nine should battle it out in the play-in because this is embarrassing at the bottom. Uh, it's going to be a tough stretch for the Blazers. Like you said, if he's out eight weeks, that's roughly 24 games or so. We're over three-quarters of the way into the season at that point. It's probably going to be too late for the Blazers. So big injury news there. Also, um, kind of an injury update on the eighth-seeded Clippers. Paul George, who I put on my all-star team. Um, now they're saying he might not return this season. He's got a torn ligament in his elbow. He's out indefinitely, could be season ending. Um, and if that's the case, then the reports of Kawhi coming back probably don't make a lot of sense either. But th uh, that's the update on Paul George. He's going to be out for a long time too. Yeah, that's that's not good to hear. I hadn't heard that yet. And like you said, if he's done for the year, there's no reason to, to bring Kawhi back because then you're going to put all the weight on his shoulders to try and carry this team. And we already know he's got shaky knees. You don't want to be putting more weight on him, more pressure right off the get-go. You know, this should just be let's wait till next year. They've been competing, though. I mean, they're 500 right now. You know, guys are trying to do what they can. You know, Reggie Jackson had a monster jam last night. Uh, he's doing what he can to try and keep this team afloat. But this is unfortunate news. Get ready to check them off your all-star roster spot there, sir. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to find a replacement here. Uh, give me some more time. I want to I see what I can do with the research. But, yeah, he's not going to make the all-star team. Um, neither is Lillard, obviously. But uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to see who makes it now that we got an open spot. Um, the last thing I wanted to discuss with you, Wes, uh, was just a quick hitter on the Hawks because they sit at 17 and 22, which is 12th in the conference and a full two games back of 10th, which would be the last play-in spot. Um, they have the second best offense in the league, but the third worst defense. And so we're talking about halfway through the season under 500 for a team that made the conference finals last year. It's, it's shocking. I, what, what are you seeing here on the, in Atlanta? Well, I, I did tune into a little bit of their game, you know, against the Lakers and they just play zero defense. There's poor closing out bad awareness. Guys are getting, you know, open looks all over the court. No one's, it doesn't look like they're competing on that end of the floor. And that's discouraging. Um, you, you have to play both ways as a, as a team. You might have one or two guys that, you know, aren't two-way players, but you can't have a team as a whole that's not a two-way team because you're not going to get wins. And that's what they're proving this year. They have a lot of firepower and offense. You know, that's been talked about. Obviously, it shows with their ranking. But they... They have some things to figure out. Um, this is unfortunate for Nate McMillan because he really came in last year and, you know, sparked this team. And it looked like it was a no brainer. He deserved that contract extension. I almost wonder if they're second guessing that move now, because this starts from the top. 
there's the GM himself, Travis Schlenk, is already talking about he needs to do something to put a competitive roster out there in the court. So he's looking himself in the mirror. I think it's time Nate McMillan does the same thing. Um, you know, he deserves some some fault with what they're doing here because you need to find a way to inspire the troops, make some moves to put better lineups on the court to be better on the defensive end because that's where it starts. Their offense is putting up points. You can't begin up 130 plus points in multiple games. You're not going to get wins. It's embarrassing. Third worst defense in the league. That should be teams like the tanking teams, not somebody that's had hopes for a conference finals or better at the start of this season. Their overall point differential is only negative 0.7, which is the same as the Hornets who sit in the seventh seed at 22 and 19. So, they're also not finishing off games very well. They're losing the close ones. And in the last 10 games, small sample, three and seven in those last 10. So they're trending downward as well. I was going to ask you about Nate McMillan. Should he be on the hot seat here? Or can they not really do that since they gave him that extension that you mentioned? Well, I, as an organization, I don't think you can fire him yet because of the massive contract you just gave him and you know the multitude of years that remain you're going to have to pay that no matter what so are you also then going to bring in another coach and essentially double up the coach contracts that doesn't look smart but he might skate through this year just because they don't really have another choice but if this leaks into next year and this is looking you know similar he might not make it very far. I mean, this might be another Luke Walton situation where first 20, 30 games, he gets snipped. And I wouldn't blame him if that's the case. Um, you know, as a head coach, you got to fire the team up. You got to do something to inspire competitive basketball. And they're not doing that right now. You know, Nate McMillan's been kind of a reputation of a replacement level coach. You know, the 20th to 30th best coach in the league for his entire coaching tenure way back on the Blazers and the Pacers. And I I think you're right. He needs to step it up because otherwise this could be a shorter tenure uh, than expected. So very surprising there. If you were going to give any kind of prediction on where the Hawks end up at the end of this season, what are you thinking? We got Raptors 8, Wizards 9, Celtics 10, Knicks 11, and then the Hawks at 12. Where do you think they're going to finish? So looking at these standings, like you said, the Hawks are in 12th, but they're only two games out of the 10th seed. So if they can put together a small win streak, four games, you know, they go four and one in in a five-game stretch, they could climb up here rather quickly. So... (sighs) Thinking glass half full, I would like to think they can muster a play-in seed. You know, I don't think they're going to escape a play-in tournament position as far as um, how they're playing right now and how well the Cavs are playing who are sitting in sixth seed. But they have a chance to at least be a play-in tournament team. You know, I'm not that impressed with what the Wizards are doing of late, with what the Celtics and Knicks are putting out there on the court. It may be, maybe they just need to make a trade. You know, obviously John Collins has been speaking his mind of late that he's upset with his situation. This isn't the first time that he spoke out about it. Um, it doesn't seem him and Trey Young's play style 
truly mesh. I mean, you see all the lobs and you think, oh, these guys have great chemistry together. But Trey Young is a very ball dominant player. And John Collins seems to want a little more action. So maybe they need to, you know, figure some things out, you know, get some other pieces. They're one of the teams that I've said before have just numerous assets. So if there's any team that's capable of making a big deal, it's the Hawks. Because there's a lot of players that a lot of other teams want. They've got a ton of pieces, a ton of uh, varied contract sizes, which makes deals even easier to make. And you're right. I I think Collins is very unhappy. He's a really good player, and and a lot of teams could use him. So we'll see. He just got that extension this past offseason, mega deal. So it's a lot of money and a lot of years for another team to take on. But he's a really good player, and I think you know a team like the Hornets or – or teams above them, the Knicks, the Wizards, any of those teams would love to have John Collins. So uh, I, I think I agree with you overall. I think they would finish maybe eighth or ninth in the conference. Uh, you mentioned the Cavs, who are sitting in the sixth. The Hawks are five games back of the Cavs. That seems like a lot to make up. So if we go to seventh, that's the Hornets four games ahead of the Hawks. Somewhere in that seven to ten range, I think they will make this play in. But really disappointing year so far for the Hawks. Yeah, like you said, these teams ahead of them are not that far out of reach. So they just need to put a couple things together, you know, one foot in front of the other, get a little momentum because right now they're kind of drowning. Um, you know, they're they're getting close to that line where someone's going to have to make a decision because there's too much talent on this roster to be this un- unproductive as a whole. So something needs to happen here. They're hoping it can happen with the assets they already have on that roster. And if you just looked at Trey Young's stats only, you would think that this must be a good team because he is efficient. He's putting up huge numbers. And you would think this would be guiding a really solid team, but they keep losing games anyway. That's what's really worrisome because they're getting star-level play out of Trey Young. We know he has limited defensive abilities, but... They got Capella. They got a lot of those young wings that are supposed to be doing that defensive work. They are giving up way too many points and just not enough effort and not not enough team chemistry out there on the defensive end. So that's where the real problems lie. Yeah, and we wouldn't have expectations if they didn't show what they showed last year. I mean, they were one of the teams you had to watch in the playoffs. You know, highlights galore. Trey Young was, you know, captivating. He was putting on a show. I mean, they made it to the conference finals. So that's why the pressure's here. And that's why we're looking at them, you know, completely shocked to see them at 17 and 22. That's that's not good enough for what they can be. You know, if they didn't do what they did last year, you know, we probably have less pressure on them. But if you get that far in the playoffs, you have to be better the next year or at least somewhere competitive. And they have not been that so far. You're completely right. Not competitive at all. And and in last year's playoffs, to get to the conference finals, they, of course, beat your bandwagon team of the week, the 76ers, in a major upset. You know, I, I of course, was, like, incredulous that they could beat the Sixers last year. So why don't you tell us about these streaking Sixers who were your bandwagon team of the week? Yeah, so like you said, the Philadelphia 76ers were my team of the week. Uh, they were 2-0 and this week, beating the San Antonio Spurs 119-100, to and then beating the Houston Rockets 
111 to 91. And currently, they are 23 and 16, fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. And as we talked about, they're on a seven-game win streak. So they were 16 and 16. And, you know, since Christmas, they put on this seven-game win streak. They have the best net rating since Christmas. Uh, They're winning by an average of 14.7 points per game over this win streak, which is very impressive, you know, especially with the fact that they don't have Ben Simmons and some other guys, you know, missing time with health and safety protocols. But in this first game here versus Spurs, this was over early. Um, 19, they scored on 19 of their first 21 trips down the court in the first quarter. So they just were efficient, dicing up the Spurs. Uh, they were up 39 to 19 after the first quarter and never looked back. They put up a season high 71 points in this game. It was impressive. Uh, they just blew this team out. The thing that caught my eye was kind of funny. You know, usually when teams do their starting lineups, the players are on the bench, they just call them up. They did a full tunnel entrance for their <laughs> players. Like it was a WWE match coming, you know, King of the Ring being called out there. So I don't know if I've seen that, the full tunnel entrance, other than maybe opening night. So that kind of caught my eye, something pretty funny. But when you talk about the Sixers, you talk about Joel Embiid, the process. And this guy it has been on some kind of tear. Uh, you know, we talked about here their seven-game win streak. He scored over 30 points in all seven of these games, which is one shy of a franchise record. Uh, eight games held by Allen Iverson of 30 or more. He also now, after this Rockets game, has nine straight road games of over 30 plus points, which is a franchise record. Which he just broke Allen Iverson's record. So wow. he is putting himself in the top notch of that franchise history. And he's that level of player, you know, going 27 points per game on the season, about 10 and a half boards. We've already talked about career high in assists at 4.4, shooting just a hair under 39% from deep. He just does it all. Um, you know, with the absence of Ben Simmons this year. He's getting more action at the elbows. You know, he's just the high post passing from those elbows. You see a lot. He gets shots off um, against the double teams with ease. He's rolling away from the double teams. He's got the fade away. He can just do everything you're looking for. In this game against the Rockets, first quarter, he goes 17 points, 9 of 9 from the free throw line. So he's just feasting. Wow on all these players. Um, He's got this very unique combination of strength and finesse, which you just don't see. And watching him this week, he's huge. You don't realize how big he is until you're watching him every single game, that this is one of the biggest players in the NBA. And that combo of the strength and finesse, it reminds me a little bit of Hakeem Olajuwon because Mm. he's got the touch, but he's also got the post moves He can do everything you're looking for. And we've talked about how ferocious he is. It's almost like he smells a weak opponent, like he's a shark in water. He's, you know, this week he had a huge crossover jam on Drew Eubanks, 
who we know is not a high-level NBA player on the Spurs. <laughs> he absolutely roasted your boy Daniel Tice this week. So if there are weaker opponents that he's going against, he goes at them because he knows he can get his shots and get his points. Um, but noticing this week, he has a lot more face-up game. Mm-hmm. He's doing that a lot more this year. We've seen him dribbling the ball up court a lot. They were talking about in the broadcast that he's actually been putting in a lot of work on his handles. Um, They said he's been watching a lot of film of Kobe and MJ to try and pick apart some moves, that triple threat game. So you can see that in action. But with this team, especially with a big man, you can't get all the buckets on your own. And the Sixers, they do a fantastic job of refeeding the post. So if he gets the ball, he gets double teamed. He's willing to move off it and give it out, but they do a phenomenal job of giving it back. And that's usually the issue with big guys is if they get doubled, they give it up. The team doesn't give it back. And the Sixers, I really thought, did a great job of giving him and refeeding the post this week. That's a great point because actually one of my questions to you was, has anything changed to get Embiid all of these shots and all of these points? And the refeeding the post is a great example of that. Uh, he has, he's clearly the focus of their offense. He's got all the tools, like you mentioned, and that mid range face up game that you, that you talked about, it's such a weapon for him because he, he's almost automatic on that jump shot from the 12, 14 foot range, but also he does two, three, four pump fakes and gets foul after foul. I love the shark in the water analogy because when he's dominating like that, it's just it's like he is addicted to it. He's having the best time. He loves to just obliterate people. And it's one of the most fun things to watch of any player in the league when he's just really rolling. Yeah, and that's a great he is addicted to dominating people. Like he wants to continue just to punish you until the other team, you know, makes a change. But I think I need to add Joel Embiid to the all sweat squad. Oh, yeah. of a nod here. Um, (laughs) He just has water dripping off his face like a leaky faucet. It's unbelievable just watching it drip, drip off his, you know, his chin. Uh, He definitely deserves a mention on the all uh, sweat squad. So, you know, we have him, Middleton. You added someone I can't remember right now. Um, I'm drawing a blank. Or was it Middleton? Uh, there's someone else from one of your teams the other week. I, I can't remember here, but um, he definitely deserves a mention. But I think one of the things that makes the Sixers very interesting is that usually when you get Embiid off the court, you're like, whew, we can take a break. He's a load. But then they roll right in with Andre Drummond. And that pairing is a lot of work for the opposition because mm-hmm. Drummond himself is also a load. I mean, this is one of the other larger human beings here in the league who we know just pounds the glass. He's going to put his body on you. So the combination of the two, you know, one subbing in for the other, there are no easy nights. They're going to beat up your interior. It's a tough team to handle. And I'm, I'm really glad to see them finally, you know, getting their roll on because it was a tough beginning to the season. It was all about Ben Simmons's absence and, that's all anyone wanted to focus on. Meanwhile, they're you know wasting away a fantastic season that Embiid's having. But we talked about him in the last podcast, winning Player of the Month. Well, these seven straight games of 30 or more, almost all of them are not included in that 
player of the month of last month. So, I mean, he's on a major extended role. And this coincides with the Sixers having played seven more road games than home games. So their their schedule is only going to get easier as it goes on. And got to think that Embiid's going to keep it going. Yeah, and he's not just doing it on the offensive end. He's, you know, protecting the paint on defense. You know, multiple times within these games, he's just swatting, you know, shots away where the guys are going directly at him or he's the help defender. So he's locked in all over the court. Uh, one of the other guys though, that's been locked in for them this season has been Seth Curry. Uh, he's had a career year, career high, 16.3 points per game. You know, he's going four assists, doing what cu- the Currys do, you know, 41% from beyond the arc, going over 51% uh, from the field. And he's at 87% from the free throw line. So he's sniffing that 50, 40, 90 mark, which is really impressive. Uh, but he's getting minutes, um, career high, 35 minutes a game, which is wow. six more minutes per game than he's gotten in any other season in his career. So they trust him. Um, he is ultra important to that team. Just his shooting that allows the spacing, his playmaking. Um, he's got really good chemistry with Embiid. They have some, you know, really nice moves together, the handoffs, they look for each other and he didn't play in the game versus the Rockets because he sprained an ankle late versus the Spurs, which sticks right with what the Currys do. Weak ankles out here. <laughs> but he had a really good game against the Spurs, 23-7-7. Uh, and seven. So he's doing it, you know, filling up the stat sheets, doing a lot of things for them. Uh, one of the other guys, though, when you look at the Sixers, you're looking at Tobias Harris. And you're looking for a little more from Tobias Harris. You know, we've talked about this here a bit. It's a bit of the Wiggins conundrum um, because he's putting up solid points, you know, 18 and a half points, seven and a half boards, about four assists a game. Those numbers look good. But when you're getting paid $36 million, those numbers all of a sudden don't look as nice. And he is now being judged for the money he's earning versus the output he's putting on the court. And that's unfortunate here for him um, because he's struggling a little bit from beyond the arc. He's under 30% shooting from three. And he's about 45% from the field. But when you look at him as a player, he could do a lot of things. He could play the three. He could play the four. He can dribble, pass, and shoot. He can rebound. But there's a lot of rumors now flying around with trades, you know, trying to sneak him into some of these Simmons deals because he's earning $36 million this season. 37 and a half next year. And in the final year of his deal, he's got 39 million. So Mm. I just wanted to touch on this with you. Do you think the Sixers are going to make any sort of deal this year, whether that be with Simmons or with Harris? Because there are rumors that came out today that, you know, clutch sports, Rich Paul sat down with ownership and nothing has changed. Well, first of all, it's really discouraging to hear Tobias Harris under 30% from three. He came to the team from that trade with the Clippers as a 40% three-point shooter. That was a big reason why they wanted him on this team. He's a basically a big body on defense, but a stretch on offense. And him not showing that is that just underlines that entire disappointment of the contract that you outlined there. Uh, but in terms of the overall trade, I don't know. I, I've, I've, 
I've thought all season that Ben Simmons would get traded, but in that article you mentioned, and in all the comments that have been out so far, it all says that Ben Simmons is not mentally ready to return to the Sixers. So, first of all, I think most people just don't believe that. They think he's holding out. But even but if you do believe it, then if he's not mentally ready to play for the Sixers, then why would he be mentally ready to play NBA basketball at all? And in that case, why would I trade for him? So that's my big issue and stick up with a possible Sixers trade is this whole mental health excuse. And, you know, hopefully they're telling the truth and it's not an excuse, but very few people actually believe them. Why would I trade for somebody that I don't even know if he's ready to get on the court when I trade him? Ben Simmons is a hypothetical really good player. Is he ever going to return to the court in a strong capacity? I don't know. And as someone who's loved Ben Simmons his whole career, I love his game. I find him fun to watch. I am having a hard time finding a reason to trade for him. It's it's really it's really questionable unless he's showing people private workouts that we're not privy to. Yeah, I mean, you yourself have been a Ben Simmons groupie since day one. So <laughs> uh, if anyone is, you know, all of a sudden hesitant, it's it's concerning that someone who's been pro Simmons to hear that. Um, but I mean, it makes sense to me. I don't believe that he is mentally you know, not healthy to play. I just think he doesn't want to play here in, in Philadelphia. He's not checked in. You know, we've saw all the reports of what they said as a team about him in the off season, players, coaches, ownership. So if you have three strikes against you from those who are supporting you, it, you know, can drive your confidence down. But as you also said, from any other team, his value is really low. Do we ever know if he's going to get back to that you know, type of player that showed that promise. And it, with the requests that the Sixers keep demanding, that's a high price tag for an unknown commodity at this point. So it's it's troubling. But from the Sixers aspect, if you have a player like Joel Embiid who's playing this well, get him some help, please. You can't allow this man to just carry the squad because we've seen it. He can't do it for a full season. And you need to get some other pieces around him to help him out because they're missing a huge asset. You know, one of their top three players and they need to get someone else in there to really, you know, fix some of the other holes. Um, Because this team, you know, watching this week, they take more transition pull up threes than any team I've seen (laughs) all year long. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't know if that's just because all the other players think, okay, this is our chance to get shots because we're not in the half court, but you know, Tobias Harris pulling up from transition. We all know that's Danny Green's shot, the pull up transition three. He loves those, Uh, you know, Furkan Korkmaz, he's launching those threes. Uh, George Niang, he's pulling the trigger. So they have a lot of guys who are trying to get quick offense and they would like to probably have someone else in the half court to feed other than just Joel Embiid. I agree. I think if I was the Sixers, I would be very motivated to make the the Simmons trade. I think getting a John Collins that we mentioned or getting like the Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, some kind of package from the Kings or a lot of those rumored trades, they aren't bad deals. Maybe they aren't what 
the Sixers set out to get when they thought they were going to trade Ben Simmons for, you know, a Jalen Brown quality of player. But if you get two good pieces, you're right. Embiid's good enough to win a title this year if he's got the support. They've got some other pieces. If you get two pieces of good, solid rotation, possible starter quality players to go with this team, Ben Simmons isn't giving you anything at all right now. So that's just completely adding to a team that's fifth in the conference and only a game back of the Bucks in fourth. And this is a good team. So if they could make any deal, it it really just can't hurt them. So I I would like them to make a deal before the deadline, get Simmons out of there, get the story out, uh, you know, get rid of the drama, but also get some pieces that'll help you win because you're right. We talked about how good Embiid's been and the rest of the team is is okay. They're solid, and they could be really good with a, few, a couple of new guys. Yeah, and you know some of the other pieces that I saw on their roster this week, uh, one of them that pops is Matisse Thibel. I mean, man, this guy is an amazing defender. Um, he's 6'5", but he's got a 7-foot wingspan, and wow. there are just no easy passes. Whether he is the one guarding the ball or off-ball, no one's making an easy pass in his direction. He's got super high intelligent, you know, just a brain for defense. He walked right in from college and was already an immediate all-NBA defender. Um, he's got the instincts you're looking for. I mean, he's quick. He's strong. He's got hops. He can jump. He just needs to improve his three-point shot. And that was, you know, the knock on him coming out of college. He's only shooting 29% from three. So if he can just continue to slightly build, you know, 2% each year to where he can be respectable at 34, he'll get more minutes per game because what he brings on that side of the ball, not many players in the NBA can bring. Uh, One of the other guys, though, I really liked, we all joke because, you know, I always say he's a little thick with it, but uh, George Niang, (laughs) he's been playing pretty well. Uh, he's got an S on his name, but it's just George, not George's is what I've you know found out here. But he's had a pretty good year, uh, career high, 10 points, putting up about three boards. He's shooting 40% from beyond the arc, so we know he can space the court. He's getting about 23 minutes a game, which is an uptick from him from what he was doing out here in Utah. Um, I call him Philly cheesesteak, but they list him at 6'7", 230. He's anywhere between 230 and 250. I mean, this guy's (laughs) thick. Uh, I always joke with him about just his physique, but I did find out an interesting stat about him this week. He has a podcast of his own, and it's called The Big Niang Theory. So I thought that was pretty clever. Clever play on words. Uh, I might have to check it out just to see who he's chatting with out here in Philly. Can we do like a moving screen Niang Theory combo podcast, like a two-parter home and home? <laughs> we might need to. We'll uh, try and hit up Niang here, tag him in a few things. Maybe he's got some things to say. Uh, I might be a little worried. He might be clapping back at me if he listens to any of our previous pods. <laughs> a-, a man we nicknamed Thick on this podcast. Um, you know, he has had a great season, though. They really needed his three-point shooting. And with the Simmons minutes... Uh, that have been available. It's it's the same position in a small power forward uh, spot, and he, he's filled in really nicely. He's played a lot more, like you said, than it was expected, and 
it seems like it's going to keep going as long as um, this roster stays the same. Yeah, he's played better than I thought he would play. I thought they um, slightly overpaid him this offseason, but he's proven the value that he's an NBA player that stretched big that a lot of teams are looking for. Um, but one of the other things that, you know, pops was their announcers. I thought their announcers this week were pretty solid. Um, Kate Scott, she is the play-by-play. And then Ala Abdenabi is their color guy. And I think I just butchered his name. But <laughs> he is constantly laughing. Always got the little hut, hut, hut chuckle throughout <laughs> like the whole, whole broadcast. Um, a couple things that pop for me. They love Furkan Korkmaz. Uh, they call him the Turkish superstar, the Turkish delight. We better know, you know, we know him better as the summer league legend because when <laughs> we went out to summer league pre COVID, he was the talk of the town going for 50 plus in the, the summer league that year, but uh, they're high on him. He's got one of the more overemphasized pump fakes in the league, the, the double hand pump fake. That's, you know, clearly he's not shooting that way, but everyone falls for it. Uh, he's got skills for them. One of the other things they had, um, Embiid this week had a really sweet driving to the hoop slam. And uh, Allah went with a ludicrous reference, although PG with the uh, move, get out the way, <laughs> which I thought was pretty dope. Uh, anytime you drop the hip hop references, we're all about it. But this group as a whole, they're very upbeat. Very happy, a pretty solid crew. If you're going to tune into a Sixers game, you can't go wrong listening to the home broadcast. Nice. Yeah, uh, Kate Scott um, is new, I believe, this year. Is that correct? Uh, they they had someone else previously that I wasn't a huge fan of. So that's actually great to hear that she's so good because I thought they were a little bit dull in their previous play-by-play, but a lot of teams actually this year that have made adjustments have made good ones. I think I've liked overall the changes in the league, but that's good to hear about her specifically. Yeah. I mean, there's a a few, you know, full-time female play-by-play announcers this year, and I think they're all making a pretty good impact. So um, I'm all for it. If you know the game and you can speak intelligently, I'm more than happy to listen to you. So I do agree. I think they made an upgrade in their play-by-play announcer from previous years. So, you know, they're making strides on and off the court. (laughs) Well, my bandwagon team was the Celtics, who have a lot of strides that they need to make. Uh, They are 20 and 21 now, which is 10th in the East. Uh, They have the 20th ranked offense, and but the sixth ranked defense. So a defensive team. Uh, Fortunately, this week they went 2-0. But I wanted to set the stage here because... Um, there, my first game was against the Knicks, but two, two days before, uh, my week started, which was the day before our last podcast, they played the Knicks again and they blew a 25 point lead to the Knicks as RJ Barrett hit a walk off buzzer beater three to beat them. Never Google Fournier had a 41 points in that game, a career high, but that coincides with what's going on all season for Boston. Boston has been given up four leads of 19 points or more this season. Wow. No other team has done it more than twice. So this team can't hold a lead. Um, and a lot of it has to do with just, they're not a very athletic team. They're a slow team. They, uh, 
on offense, uh, they brought this stat up on the broadcast. They are 29th or second to last in average team speed on offense. So what that means is that nobody's running around. It's just there's no movement at all. People are standing still doing a, a bunch of nothing. And it coincides with their pace, 25th in the league in pace, and their transition points per game, 28th in the league. So this guy, this team is not getting out and running at all, purely half court. And uh, you know, there was an article uh, by Rob Mahoney today, and he said they have to show their work on offense, which I kind of liked that term because it's all so deliberate on offense. It's such a grind. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are excellent players, but they're not a lot of flow to their offense. I've noticed that, you know, watching them play is they run one action, the ball gets to Brown or Tatum, and that's it. There's a lot of guys standing and not moving. That's concerning to hear their pace because you look at their roster, we talk about Brown and Tatum, and we all know Time Lord. They, that's athleticism. Those three guys alone should be running up and down the court. So is this coaching? Is this just coaching adjustments that need to be made? Well, I, I do think that it's a funky roster. I mean, they're starting guards. Uh, Marcus Smart starting at the point. He's not a super fast guy, and he also shouldn't really be a point guard. Schroeder comes off the bench, who definitely adds some speed, but... He's kind of a trick-or-treat guy. He has a good game and a bad game. You never really know what you're getting from Shooter. And then also off their bench, Josh Richardson, who, like, I don't know what he's adding to any team anymore. Richardson is, I'm really low on him now. I I, I don't think he's doing a whole lot out there. Uh, Grant Williams, your boy, who is a great corner three-point shooter, but he's, he's, you know, big-bodied. He's not a fast guy either. Um, he's just purely a role guy. He doesn't do a whole lot of self-creating or anything of the sort. And then also off the bench is Ennis Freedom, uh, who <laughs> who is actually in their rotation on this team. Uh, you know, the last couple years, he's kind of been like the 10th or 11th man on a team where he would play some games and he wouldn't play other games. He's playing consistent basketball for this team off the bench. And... I think that kind of shows the lack of depth for, from this team. The The biggest concern I had was Al Horford, who him and Robert Williams are starting alongside each other, which is one of the biggest lineups in the league, especially when you go with Tatum and Brown, and even Smart is big as a point. So you got a giant starting five, but slow, especially Horford, smart player, isn't doing a whole lot anymore. Um, his three-pointers are down. He's hitting corner threes almost exclusively. Uh, and I think that they would love to get off of Horford if they could. I mean, you think about this team from a couple years ago. They had Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, and then Al Horford back then. You go from having Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, and you lose both of them for nothing. This is a team that we thought was one of the most promising teams in the league back when they had all the picks. They got Brown and Tatum from those picks, but the rest of that group has not turned out to be much at all. Yeah, and you, you brought up the starting lineup of Horford and Williams in the front court. 
And I agree. I don't think that's a good pairing to start. You know, that can be a lineup configuration to have those two, but I don't feel that's a good, you know, starting five. It feels like this team is missing a four. They're not quite sure who they should start at the four. You know, in a small ball theory, you would probably like to have Tatum there, but you're worried about wearing him out as far as being a prime rebounder, even though he's putting up eight plus boards or so this year. You need him on the offensive end, so you don't want to kill his legs. And, you you know, you mentioned Marcus Smart here. Who is their leader on this team? I feel like that's been a big question this year. And, you know, watching these games this week, who do, who's the one that you see kind of, you know, gathering the troops and, and trying to lead this team? Well, that's been a huge problem for them in the past is that it seems like Marcus Smart has the most mentality to be a leader on this team, but he's not a good enough player to kind of qualify for that spot. Um, So it has to be Tatum, has to be Brown, but those two can't quite figure out how to make it a team game. They're both kind of me first guys. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. They're both great players. Um, I think Jason Tatum spends too much time on the perimeter. I think that he um, takes a lot of tough shots. And it's one of those things where you have a couple fall and you think that a tough shot is just a normal solid shot when you should be using like the Steve Kerr comment he always makes, good to great. And so they're settling for a lot of these long twos, a lot of these contested threes. And yeah, you make some of them. But you see why Tatum's percentages are down that we talked about in the All-Star podcast. is because there's all these tough shots. It's just a grind. So to your point about Horford-Williams, I think Horford should come off the bench. I think I understand your wear and tear comment, but I would move both Brown and Tatum up in the positional and start Schroeder or even Richardson go smaller and faster because it goes back to my pace thing. They're a slow uh, slow grinding team, but you know, in, in this wi- in this week, it didn't hurt them. So I mentioned the previous loss to the Knicks, but they got a chance to rematch against the Knicks in my first game of the week, and they took them down 99 to 75. 75 by the Knicks was the lowest opposing scoring total for the Celtics all season. So they uh, they did well defensively, but it was also some pretty rough offense for the Knicks, who um, shot 37% as a team. And that was behind uh, Alec Burks, 2 for 11. R.J. Barrett, 7 for 21. And Julius Randle, 6 for 19. So those guys really hurt them. Um, but, But it was a great second half, especially for the Celtics, who were up two at half, end up winning this one by 24. So really shut them down uh, 55 to 33 total in the second half. And um, and it was three straight under 20 scoring quarters for the Knicks. 16 in the second, 18 in the third, 15 in the fourth. So it might be bad offense for the Knicks, but that's also good defense uh, by the Celtics. And the scoring was led by Jalen Brown, uh, both by passing and by scoring. Um, In the first half, Jalen Brown had seven assists, which was already his season high in assists. Uh, He ended up with his first career triple-double, 22 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists. 
and that was off nine of 15 shooting. So really nice game for Brown. Clearly the best player on the floor in that one uh, led them to a win. And then in the second game, the Celtics beat the Pacers 101 to 98 in overtime. I watched this game, so you didn't have to. It was <laughs> brutal. It, this was there was just no feel at all in this game. The funniest announcing thing that happened all week was uh, they in the third quarter said that it looked like they were watching a game from the local Y gym because nothing good was happening for either team. The Pacers had multiple instances of about five minutes scoreless in this game, one in the first, one in the fourth quarter. Um, But it was another blown lead for the Celtics, who were up 12 at one point and ended up going down four with under a minute left before making it happen late to tie. Uh, Jason Jason Tatum hit a nice long two off an inbound with 1.8 seconds left to tie it. And they took control in overtime to win. But even in overtime, they foul Justin Holiday from the three-point line with with less than uh, five seconds to go. They were up four, bring it back to one. So we had to do another set of free throws for, for Tatum to win the game. So this game would not end. We all wanted it to because it was ugly. But um, this leads me to another stat about the Celtics. It was also about the Pacers. It was a graphic that came up for the game. Both the Celtics and Pacers going into the game were 2-11 and in games decided by five points or less. So the Celtics did pull this one off to improve that, but the Pacers fall to 2-12 and in that matter. But like I said, they're having a tough time finishing games off. Yeah, and that's just a lack of a clutch gene, it sounds like there. And you brought up here a couple times, you know, their inability to hold on to leads. So is this more a lack of defensive focus that they're giving up points? Or is this more of them with turnovers on the offensive end and not getting shots up to, you know, extend the lead? You know, w- which way are you leaning as far as maybe the reason for these, you know, large blown leads? Um, I, I It's not really the turnovers, actually. I mean, they had one of these two games where there was more than desired turnovers. But I looked up the rankings, and they're kind of middle of the pack in the league in turnovers per game. So it's not like super egregious. It's just that they aren't having enough passes, enough flow in their offense. And also, they're 24th in the league in three-point percentage, um, despite being 13th in the league in attempts. So they're putting some threes up, um, but they're not hitting any threes. And then they also have the sixth longest average shot distance. And that, again, only only 13th in the league in three-point attempts. So that means they're taking a lot of long twos, floaters, mid-rangers. Um, so that's a huge issue for this team. They're, they're just trying to play hero ball like it's the olden days uh, with these two guys. And that what they really, really need is a pass for his point guard, like you, like what Rubio was doing for the Cavs this year. A guy like that would have been amazing for this team. Um, obviously, some of those guys are tough to get, but you know, a Brunson uh, or, of course, you know, some of the stars like uh, Chris Paul or Shea Gilders Alexander or some of those guys. But someone that can pass the ball, share the ball around. Um, Brogdon didn't play in this game uh, for the Pacers. He would be an amazing Celtic uh, fit for them, but. Um, 
But it, it, there's a lot of issues for the Celtics team that they have to sort out. That stat you brought up with the sixth longest attempt, and then uh, you know pairing that with their three-point attempts, that feeds right into what everyone's been talking about here with Tatum, is that he's taking a lot of those long twos. And this probably means that also Jalen Brown is taking some of those long twos. So that's a bit concerning. Uh, you know, that's when you're looking at the new age, you know, basketball and, and measurements and analytics and such. That's one of the worst shots in basketball. So you're, you'd like to see them drive or step out, you know, get something more efficient. Um, but I wanted to ask you about their bench because, you know, we're, we're talking about here. Maybe not preferring their rotation of starters. Who did you like off their bench? Who kind of popped for you as far as one of their other pieces? I I thought the bench was a big um, a big part of kind of their downfall here. I I mentioned Josh Richardson uh, not playing very well. Uh, Grant Williams is okay, but again a little bit limited. Um, so I honestly I wasn't in love with really any of their bench guys making an impact. I, Dennis Schroeder. Uh, is solid for a backup, but he's kind of had a bit of a down year this year. Uh, Schroeder is only averaging 16 points, four and a half assists, three and a half rebounds, which seems pretty good as rough numbers off the bench, but 43% shooting, 33% from three. And it's this whole team. No one's hitting threes. Horford's way off this year. Uh, Richardson's low. And so their whole bench isn't getting it done. Uh, Peyton Pritchard is back. Was back today, and at time of recording, they just beat the Pacers in the rematch, one nineteen to one hundred. So solid game for them there. Uh, both Tatum and Brown score over thirty in that one. So a nice recovery game uh, right now while we're recording. But uh, Peyton Pritchard didn't play in either of the games that I watched, and I think he was missed. Uh, definitely having a pure point guard off the bench. That's kind of what they need. Um, but what I didn't see much of and what I was hoping to see was Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford, two of their recent first round picks that have not made much of an impact so far. Yeah, I think that's what I was probably hoping to get at was to see what those two pieces, because, you know, we're talking about pace and athleticism and shooting, and they would like to hope that some of these picks that they've made would have panned out. And that hasn't been the case. Uh, neither of them played against the Pacers, uh, so that shows you uh, where they are in the rotation. Uh, and I think they've had some protocol issues as well, but they're just getting nothing out of those young guys. Um, what they are getting, and I was really impressed by, my biggest positive uh, this week was Robert Williams, who had some nice moments in both games. Um, he had the best highlight of the two games. He had this sweet put-back dunk. He fully extends his one arm and and wraps it around for a sweet putback. He also had a number of other putbacks. Jalen Brown threw him a nice lob uh, on one of Jalen Brown's seven assists in that first half I mentioned. Um, and Williams ended up with 12.7 rebounds in the first game, but four blocks. And the second game, 14 points, 12 rebounds. He also had four steals, three more blocks, and six offensive rebounds. So Robert Williams was really bringing the energy, really bringing the athleticism that I'm looking for on this team that they're lacking. So I was really happy uh, about his performance. Um, 
And to follow up on the Jalen Brown thing, he had another good game against the Pacers. He was uh, 26 points, 15 rebounds, 6 assists. Uh, so he, another huge game for Jalen Brown. This was the game that Sabonis had your triple-double, you mentioned, with the 22 rebounds. Uh, and then Tatum had a double-double, 24 and 12, but just 7 of 21 from the floor, 0 of 7 from 3. Um, 10 of 10 and 11 from the free throw line kind of saved him in this one. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't impressed by the bench at all, but Robert Williams and Jalen Brown probably had the two most positive weeks. I think that's the one thing I've noticed when I've tuned into their games is Robert Williams really does pop. Um, he has all the physical tools that you're looking for. You know, he's got athleticism. He's got the hops. He's a defensive-minded player. If you're getting three, four blocks in a game, you're competing. And that's you can't question, you know, that effort on that side of the ball. It seems, as you've said here, it's just their flow. They don't have the flow on offense, and it's extremely stagnant. And they need to figure that out because they have some talent. They should be better than 20 and 21 as far as their record goes at this point of the year. Yeah, so I guess at at time of recording now, 21 and 21, their first three-game, their first three-game winning streak of the season. Um, So we'll see how they can continue to improve if they can. Uh, But it starts with the flow you're talking about, they need to just step up the pace in the half court, especially. I I know they're only 28th in transition points per game, but even if they could add some pace in the half court, get the ball moving, get the ball flowing, that would really help create some of those easier shots we're looking for to reduce that shot distance that we talked about. So um, lots more to come for the Celtics. Uh, definitely a short week for both of us, you know, reviewing these teams. But it was um, it was an up and down uh, review of the of this team who won both games, but especially in this one against the Pacers, uh, there was no Brogdon, no Lavert, and no Chris Duarte, and they had to get to overtime to win it. Um, it just goes back to what I said at the beginning: everything is a grind with this team. And um, they're going to have to keep grinding if they want to win some of these games. I mean, at least this week, we were both able to see some wins. Uh, <laughs> both teams getting some Ws, so that's always exciting. Uh, some of these weeks can be tough with our luck of the draw. So curious to see you know, who is um, in the cards for us moving forward. Yeah, before I get to our draws, uh, a quick hit on the announcers. Uh, the announcers are Mike Gorman and Brian Scalabrini. And I will say, I I think they're a bottom 10 pairing for sure, but they are a major improvement over what they had before with uh, Tommy Heinsohn, who, you know, RIP Tommy Heinsohn, but as an announcer, uh, he was my least favorite in the league. So Brian Scalabrini uh, is a major improvement. Um, Scalabrini's usage rate is extremely high. This guy talks probably <laughs> way too much. Uh, so he's not great, but he is an improvement. Uh, their play-by-play guy, Mike Gorman, uh, calls the game well, but he's kind of dull. He's kind of boring. He's kind of kind of got an old man's voice. Uh, so it's not a very exciting crew. Um, not a huge uh, positive on the telecast. But I, I wanted to bring this up 
They've got a Dunkin' cam, like a Dunkin' Donuts-sponsored camera above their uh, hoop. So it's like a sky cam above the hoop. They were showing like four Dunkin' cam highlights a game that weren't dunks. You can't be showing me a Dunkin' cam non-dunk. I only want dunks on the Dunkin' cam. I would have to completely agree. If you have a Dunkin' can, you can only show the rim rockers out here. That seems, you know, besides the point. But you don't like the Tommy points? You're upset that the Tommy points are gone? I Look, when, <laughs> when Tommy was an announcer, I would exclusively watch the other telecasts. So I can't even say I know for sure what the Tommy points are. But Scalabrini... Um, is okay. He's like a poor man's Richard Jefferson. I mean, Richard Jefferson is on the come up. So that's um, something big you're tying him to. You talked about earlier in the week that that game looked like it was at the YMC. I'm pretty sure Scalabrini's out there regularly at the YMC. Just <laughs> wrecking fools. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that's what it looked like to, to Mike Gorman. <laughs> Scalabrini out there putting out some hook shots. Um, so yeah, a bottom a bottom tier telecast by the Celtics, but uh, they're improving for sure. Um, Celtics 500. We'll see how they continue to improve. Uh, but as we move on to next week, uh, our first draw, we you got the Warriors. So uh, what we decided to do this week was we're going to take the Warriors as a joint team of the week, and that's going to be extra credit. Uh, because we're still going to have separate teams of the week. Um, so, Wes, uh, you got the Rockets, who uh, are playing the Spurs tonight, um, and they play the Kings Friday, the Kings again Sunday, and I don't think we'll get to this one um, due to our recording schedule, but... They play the Jazz Wednesday, a week from today. So we'll see about that one. But they play the Spurs tonight. They're currently trailing the Spurs by four at half at time of recording. And then they play the Kings Friday and Sunday on a, on a little mini-series there. So we'll see what you can find on the Rockets. Um, I talked shit about the Blazers. I called them trash twice on last week's podcast. The basketball gods have scorned me. I received the Blazers, who are on a little two-game winning streak against the Kings and the Nets. They will play the Nuggets tomorrow. So the Nuggets just keep coming up. The Wizards Saturday and the Magic Monday. So I got a little bit of fun matchups there, but I will be seeing the Damian lillard Liz Blazers. I mean, it's... It's only right that you get the Blazers after hashtag Blazers are trash. That's been brought up <laughs> numerous times. Um, but, you know, I'm intrigued here for the Rockets. They have a couple young pieces. Um, you know, Jalen Green is back. Kevin Porter Jr. is a nice piece. Uh, Christian Wood. You know, he, they have some talent. Um, they're just extremely young. You know, we know that. They're building towards the future. I don't know if I'll be able to catch much of the game tonight, like you said, maybe the second half. Uh, but versus the Kings, that just means there's a chance for some W's. So I'm excited. Like you said, we'll take the joint task here of the Warriors as they've been playing, you know, top-notch basketball. So uh, I'm excited for this week. Should be some good basketball here ahead of us. 
It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I look forward to your reports on Porter and Green uh, and even our boy Alperu and Sangoon. Um, so lots of basketball to watch. we got some homework assignments here, Wes. Uh, but we'll continue to watch basketball and uh, continue to see some exciting moments. Yeah, chalk me up for the extra credit. I'm already doing that on the side with the Warriors. You know, they're <laughs> tuning in every game. So might as well, you know, deliver the news to the rest of the audience here in uh, the basketball world. We're looking forward to it. Clay's two games into his uh, comeback, so it'll be fun to watch him, and uh, hopefully everyone uh, gets to see some of those games. So uh, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the MSNBA Pod and on Instagram at Moving Screen NBA. And uh, thank you all for listening. Yeah, we appreciate y'all. Tune into the games this week.